0: Hi, we'd love to get back to doing these face-to-face, but until that's sensible, here's a video call we recorded with Ellie Orton, CEO of NHS Charities Together. And while it's packed with stories about how they raised £100 million in six weeks, completed their five-year strategy in five, and broke just giving in the process, it still doesn't match up to the call from Joe Wicks on the beach. So coming up, we've got Captain Tom, Ubuntu, and the background to the Romanian Revolution. Welcome to season five of the Do More Good Podcast.
1: You're to the Do More Good Podcast. The Do More Good Podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good. Do Good, do more. Do more good, do more good Podcast. Do More Good Podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. Okay. You're listening to the Do More Good Podcast.
2: Here we are, James, episode number 63 of the Do More Good Podcast. How are you doing?
0: Good, Kenneth. I'm good. We're back from holidays, um, not together, unfortunately. we've both been away on holiday, haven't we? And uh and now kicking off with, with some more episodes. But yeah, good to see you.
2: Yeah, how was your holiday? Where did you go? France, was it? No,
0: I went up to, to Scotland. Scotland, sorry. Yeah, the other way. The other <laughs> way. But yeah, it was good. Unfortunately, I did have Fish and Chip heroin. The greatest fish and chips of all time. Oh, and really? Now I can never go back to having fish and chips from my fish and chips shop around the corner. It just, it just won't match up.
2: Where was that? You've got to give them a shout out.
0: But, um, it was Anstruther. They had plaques up all over the wall and things about how they were the greatest fish shop in the world. Tom Hanks had been there. <laughs> I, don't know whether, I don't know if Tom Hanks is a particular connoisseur of fish and chips, but he had been to that particular shop.
2: And now they can put yeah, really your picture good. up on the side now, can they?
0: I left to do more good business card, so I imagine <laughs> that will be, that'll be posted. How about yours?
2: Yeah, mine was good. I went up to the Lake District with, with the family. I think you go up to the Lake District knowing that you're going to get some rain, right? So we, we went all prepared, but lots of good walks, the dogs, lots of pub lunches, and yeah, just a great time. And I, I discovered I have pretty bad vertigo. Oh no! <laughs> So climbing up what, what can only be described as a small mound and my children running ahead of me with the dog. And then as we get to the top, I can only describe it as kind of like, I felt like I was sitting on a point and um, the kids were like asking me, what's up, dad? What, what, why are you, look, you look a bit sweaty. And I was just, I just honestly felt like I was on the top of the top of the earth and uh so, have you had that before of, was that first not time? not really not really never that's first time i mean i must yeah. admit i haven't been up a hill for a while but but yeah other than that it was it was a great time and you know what i feel refreshed back to it i almost feel like we're not over anything of course not but we're kind of moving into a bit of a next phase both from a well just an acceptance i think of getting used to, to to how we operate now from both work point of view and also home and, you know, kids back to school. I mean, we'll see what the new lockdown does. But, you know, I, I think it's we're learning to, to cope with all this, aren't we? The kids are back at school. Exactly. Brilliant. Oh, they were so happy.
0: They were so pleased to see their little mates.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. It's going to be yeah. just like when we reopen all the offices and we go running in, hug each other. It's going to be amazing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is, getting the kids back to school, dropping them off at school was great that first day. You know, as you say, they were all pleased. And you know when you normally do that walk home from dropping the kids off at school and you look at all the parents and it's a bit of a glum, hiya, you're all right, yeah, how are you doing, you know, but everyone was ecstatic, everyone had a stride, yes, I've got rid of them, finally. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but we're rambling on, we're rambling on, James. Anyway, let's crack on with this episode because I think it's, it's going to be a good one. So our guest this week is the Chief Exec of NHS Charities Together, the organisation that represents the 240 NHS charities there are across the UK. Following a degree in youth and community studies, she studied her career in the field of youth support services whilst continuing her university studies. And after several roles in the field, including local government, she joined the John Egging Trust as head of youth programmes before coming interim CEO in 2016. She then went on to join a commentary-based charity as CEO working with the most vulnerable and sexually exploited women in the city before taking the helm at NHS charities together in 2018. Now, the charity has obviously seen a meteoric rise since launching their urgent appeal in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic, raising over 100 million in six weeks. With the appeal now over 130 million, she embodies the work of the organisation to support and champion the efforts of NHS charities, NHS staff, volunteers and patients. And our guest is passionate about social, social change and the African philosophy of Ubuntu which literally translates to humanity. So we'd really like to welcome Ellie Orton to the Do More Good podcast. Hi, Ellie. How are you doing?
1: Hello. Thank you.
2: Where did the Ubuntu come from? I, I think I've heard of that. Where did that come from?
1: After I left school and I started doing youth and community work, I then went to South Africa for three work three years and worked with street children and farm worker children in in different areas of South Africa. And yeah, Ubuntu is a South African, Southern African uh, philosophy. And as I say, the literal translation is it means humanity, but. The way to describe it is uh, is about uh, connections, really. And there's a, a, a sentence that Archbishop Desmond Tutu uses, which describes it, which is, I need you to be the best that you can be so that I can be the best that I can be. Yeah. And That kind of relates to community work. It relates to youth work, but it also relates to organisational leadership. So,
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a really nice way of framing it, actually. It makes sense. Ellie, we'd like to go back to the start. I mean, you know, the Do More Good podcast, we've had some, some great guests on and, you know, it's really interesting to hear people's backgrounds and how they ended up into to these situations or roles that they're, they're in now. I mean, you touched on it a little bit before and, and also in your introduction and, and bio, but, but where did this feeling or this desire to kind of, you know, do, do more good, essentially, in, in terms of kind of social good, where did that come from and, and what, what
1: got you started? I honestly think it's probably my parents. I was brought up in rural Warwickshire. My mum uh, was a farmer and and, and ended up then being farmer and housewife and definitely had that sense of graft. So she worked hard and actually that level of of kind of endurance and hard work comes from her. And My dad had Three different jobs over over his lifetime. So he stu- he he was a farmer as well. And he trained to be um, a farmer and went to agricultural college, but he then went into industry where his father was working and was I, I guess the, the equivalent of director of operations within uh, a, a, a wire factory in Birmingham, and um, he really led that organization very differently. So in the seventies, he was person to appoints the first black person in the whole of the organization and was told that he needed to unhire this first black person and he basically said no if they go I go so this real sense of purpose and ethics and then his next job is he went into the church he was a he was a church minister and he did some outstanding things as a church minister so before the revolution he used to smuggle Bibles, contraception, toys and medical equipment into Romania. He actually smuggled out of Romania information that led to the Romanian revolution that actually turned into a film that was made in Canada, was shown to to the West and actually led to the uprising in Romania and, and led to the revolution. And and then he was one of the first truckloads over the border then at Christmas with the, the first aid. And he used to take aid into to Romania. So that has been, if you like, my sense of upbringing.
0: We've never had an opening line quite like that before, <laughs>
1: have we? It was a, a phenomenal man who, who had i could say this sense of sense of social justice sense of wanting to make an impact and and a difference so that's kind of where it led from for me cuz when i i went to university at 18 didn't really do very well at, at my course spent a lot of time socializing shall we say and not I'll very much it. hard work <laughs> and kind of left my first year kind of not wanting to go back to university a year of getting pissed up and felt like I needed to make a contribution back into into society and so I ended up going to Romania for that summer having known uh, the, the stuff that my dad had done and I went and worked with an organization as a volunteer and helped to build a youth center in the Carpathian Mountains the organization that I went with was a youth organization and while I was there they kind of said look you're really good at kind of working with the other young people. And, and I ended up sort of taking a lot of responsibility for things and asked if I wanted to come back and, and work with them when we returned to England, which is what I did. So I started doing youth work from the age of 19 and um, didn't go back to my university course, carried on working with that organisation till I was 21, then went to South Africa till 24 Um, then came home and did my youth and community work degree with theology and worked full-time and did my university (laughs) course full-time.
0: Maybe where your mum's influence comes in, that kind of graft that you talked about, having that purpose and that passion really then you could apply that. Yeah definitely,
1: that's her influence is just hard work.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So you you spent quite a few years in, in that kind of space in the youth work and then Ended up as a CEO of a, a local charity in Coventry. Is that that right?
1: Yeah. So after I decided to leave the John Egging Trust, having been interim chief executive whilst the founder and the and the chief executive was on maternity leave, I, lo- I absolutely love that organisation. It's a, an amazing organisation. But it was time for me to move on. So then I went to an organisation called Kairos Women Working Together they were looking for somebody to come in to really just help them look at restructure. And I took it on as a short term contract because I thought, you know what? I can help. Mm-hmm. So I worked with them. They're an Absolutely amazing organization going really strong. Now from working from a national perspective across to working at a local perspective, I kind of struggled a little bit. I kind of wanted the, the wider perspective. Mm-hmm. So, I kind of knew that I probably wasn't going to stay there once we'd done the, the restructure. So I restructured so that I wasn't staying. Actually, the best way of me helping is putting what they need in place for their future. And so I continued to to job hunt and, and came across NHS charities, which I had never heard of before at that point. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: yeah, and then the move um, there in 2018. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how was that to start with?
1: Well, I, I, I guess... I'd worked with health uh, in youth and community work and and sort of specialist social care, but I'd never I'd never worked with the NHS in that sense. So the Association of NHS Charities, as they were then, with the chief executive, three members of staff, turnover of quarter of a million pounds. It was a it was a small charity. But 120 members at the time, some very big national charities in there, including Great Ormond Street Charity, which is one of the founders of the membership organisation. And you just looked at it and did a bit more digging around it, and the potential, you know, where they could go and where they could grow to was absolutely huge. And I and I guess that's what I like doing is working with small organisations and, and developing them. I guess it's a kind of a transition from working with young people and doing development work with, with young people to then doing that with organisations. So it was exciting because when I joined the previous chief executive, had been with them for nearly 10 years and had done this amazing foundation work with the organisation and support of the NHS's charities. And there was this real opportunity to to develop and grow. So the first thing we did was getting to know people and building relationships, et cetera, but putting together a new vision and strategy for the organisation. It was also the 70th birthday of the NHS. So there was a new buzz around... You
0: don't want to miss out on that, do you? No, exactly. You for the
1: there was a, yeah. yeah, there was a new buzz of, about the members working together. It was the first time they'd done collective national fundraising Certainly, to begin to measure the impact that NHS charities were having.
2: Yeah, and, and, and I want to come back to that, Ellie. I do, you know, I mean, we talked about it in the, in, in the introduction, right? I mean, the, the fundraising, obviously, over recent times has just been like nothing that we've ever experienced before. But just before we get to that, I just wanted to go back a couple of steps and thinking about what you talked about the interim CEO position and then taking the CEO position at a, a local charity feedback that we get is people like to hear what helped individuals get to those next steps how did those opportunities develop when you were at the John Egan Trust and you were you were head of youth programs I think at the time did you see yourself as a CEO at that point was that kind of part of your career plan to move into the senior positions such as CEO, and then have a career in that way? Or was it just something that materialised?
0: Yeah, just to set that one up, everybody always says, oh, I didn't have a plan. I just ended up as (laughs) as running the world. That just happened. So I don't know whether you're going to follow that.
1: I think it's fair to say that I'm ambitious. When I started doing youth work, I became assistant director within a year. It was a small organisation, but it was probably turnover bigger than where I am now. So I'd always worked in leadership, if you like. That's always been part of the the roles that I've done. So they've basically been quite small organizations, but I've always been either a senior leader or actually part of just starting it from scratch and developing it. So when I started the John Egging Trust, it was a startup charity. I think I was the second member of staff. So they had the founder, who was Emma Egging, who was the wife of John Egging, who had you know, tragically lost his life in, in the Red Arrows accident. She had founded the organization uh, um, about 18 months earlier and had bought on a fundraising manager who had helped bring in some additional funding. Their sort of mantra was inspiring young people to be the best they can be. And if you think about kind of my philosophy and love of kind of Ubuntu and enabling people to be the best they can be, I literally just looked at that organisation and went, I want to work there. So I just built the organisation within the youth programmes part, but the more we got, you know, as that grew, then we were able to demonstrate the impact and therefore grow the funding of it, et cetera. Did I want to be chief executive of... uh, I don't think I ever thought I didn't. Leadership was always where I'd be, but I don't think I've ever been promoted. (laughs) And I don't think I could ever go into something and think I don't want to lead it.
0: Just to go back to the intro, it sounds like you have the opposite to to Kenneth and actually you're happiest higher up. That's where you want to be leading at the top. That's where you're comfortable. You have no fears around that?
1: No, no, not really. See, I
2: I like what you said about I never thought I wouldn't and actually that's quite a different mindset to probably quite a lot of people like I'm wondering from 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 hearing you and obviously you know seeing your background and 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 that whether that youth work and you touched on that that kind of common theme of what you experienced when you went to Romania and you experienced through your father and through what he was doing it was about bringing people along And, and I don't know whether you can look back to that and think actually yeah they were the the days where it crafted how I would become as a leader later on in my career
1: definitely and I definitely think that how I lead people and organizations has a, as a big mirror in actually the the qualities of a good youth worker what are
0: the qualities of a good youth worker
1: there's got to be a level of uh, of serving others that you're there for their you know for their development but equally there's a, a level of huge amount of integrity in there and being able to say listen understand empathize seek to understand the, the point of view of the of the young person that you're working with and actually develop into an area and there's a saying that says with a young person never seek to lead them to the place where you are, as a beautiful as a place that that might be, but seek to go together on a journey to a place that neither of you have been before. Is that
0: Desmond Toto again?
1: No, I don't know who that is. It's somebody, <laughs> but I'm I, I, sorry, I can't reference them. So I'm sealing their, their, their lovely their lovely quote. If anybody wants to work with young people because they make themselves feel good, then that's not, the, you know, that's not the, the, the point of it at all. It's actually about how can you, how, how can you help them be be the best that they can be and that sometimes is about challenging them and sometimes that's about empathizing and listening and not saying anything at all and sometimes it's just about walking alongside I guess the the skill in that is knowing when to do that when to do each of those things and I still think that's the same with with people management and, and people leadership and organizational growth and, and development it's it's about knowing when to to push forward and it's about knowing when to consolidate and to but also I think one of the key areas is being reflective and actually being a reflective practitioner and a reflective learner being able to reflect on how did something go could it have gone better being self-aware I think are all key parts and I think they're all good parts of being a good youth worker but they're also good parts of being a good leader
2: that's really nice Look, m- moving on, we've got to ask you the question now. I'll just, I'll just tee you up and, and just tell us the story. I mean, when the pandemic hit, when people started supporting NHS charities together, as you said quite rightly, people, and, and I know, Ellie, you and I have met previously out, outside of this, but you, you said at the time, I think then, that you know, we've got a brand that people don't necessarily know about. Everyone knows of the NHS. Some people know that there's NHS charities. Probably a lot of people know about GOSH. But then when the pandemic hit and that first appeal went out and the money started coming in at, at that level, what, what was that like to experience? And I mean, you know, Captain Tom, etc. cetera. Just, just tell us about that experience.
1: It was, yeah, absolutely phenomenal. So we were gearing up to do the NHS Big T, which is the, the kind of national fundraiser that we'd started on the 70th birthday that year. So it was our, our second the third year of doing it, which is bringing the country together to have tea parties, a bit like Macmillan coffee mornings, and we kind of realised on the seventeenth of March that maybe asking people to come together to do tea parties in July might not be the kind of best fundraising way forward. So. The committee that that we had as, as part of the, the membership that were that responsible for nationwide campaigns so said, OK, well, we made the decision we're not going to do the Big T. Should we do a national appeal? And the kind of consensus was yes. And I was really for doing a national appeal. And I was really pro that funds should come in centrally to NHS charities together and that we should set up a grant process to grant those funds out. And I really was kind of adamant that we should have three key elements to that so first support the nhs by washing your hands and and following the, the the kind of key messages that the nhs is sending out secondly if you want to do more and you want to to give then every nhs body has its own charity and you can find out where they are on our website and thirdly if you want to be able to support nationally then this is our covid appeal I think we had a just giving page that had been set up historically, but never had any income. And suddenly people found that Uh, Virgin Money Giving contacted us and said, are you going to do an appeal? We said yes. And they were just ridiculously helpful. And we had a creative team that we were working with on the big T. We repurposed them to put together some creative we have no budget or money set aside for for a media campaign or or anything like that and my staff team was myself and three other people and none of which were fundraisers and <laughs> i remember the people that in that first week it was a big flurry of us setting up not just the, the appeal but the grants and making sure that we could grant them funds out really quickly we had 140 members at the time I speak to one of our partners is an organization called CCLA and they are an ethical investment company. I picked up the phone and said, I need an account that's going to hold quite a lot of money. But I think by then I was thinking kind of multi millions, but not hundreds of millions. And I need to be able to grant that money out to my 140 members very, very quickly. What can you do? And they got themselves together, came back a day later, and said, "We'll open you this account. We've got 140 sub accounts from this account, and those 140 sub accounts will pay out into like, the, the the charities can can draw down from there." And so we we hurried along doing that, and then on the 23rd a Monday later. XTX markets phoned me they were a supporter of great ormond street of gosh they'd given gosh a million pounds and said we'd like to do something nationally put us in contact with us and they gave us a 10 million pounds on the first day wow not a bad day um, yeah not a bad day and then by the friday the rousing family had been in contact and wanted to give five million Wow. So within five days, it was fifteen million pounds, and there was a flurry of activity on both um, Just Giving and Virgin Giving. And yeah, it, it, the thing is, people haven't heard. I mean, everyone had heard of the NHS, and everybody wanted to help. We we are that kind of culture as a as a country. We we absolutely love the NHS, and when the NHS seemed to be at th- threat or at risk. Then everybody wanted to do something to help the NHS, but people didn't know how to do that, and so we weren't really asking for money. People were just giving money, but what we had to really work hard at positioning ourselves as we are the way to be able to give money charitably to the NHS because we we are the way of being able to get that directly into the NHS's official charities, which is the legal way the NHS holds spends manages charitable funds we have a brilliant relationship with nhs england and and they were very much yeah you're the national charity partner you're the official campaign but there was a lot of just ridiculously hard work but that flurry of kind of activity of just saying yeah that's us yeah that's that's, no that's not you that's us (laughs) that's us Mm -hmm. trying to keep our members on board to be able to tell them this is what we're doing we initially set up not realizing that we'd get in like 15 million pounds in the first week that we set up a short sort of small grants program that would give out repeated small grants of five five thousand pounds that members could just do a really short application and that would that would be turned over a weekly and they all hated it they didn't want it and then obviously we'd announce that and then like two days later announced that we had like a mil- 10 million pounds and they were all like, well, why are we make- why are you making us do all of this? Yeah. So uh, we went back to the drawing board, went back to the trustees and they said, right, let's give 35,000 pounds to every, every member let us also on board another hundred members because there's 240 NHS charities in the UK, but we only had 140 members. So there's a big flurry of activity of contacting every NHS trust and health board in the whole of the UK to say, would you like to be a member of NHS charities together? And, and here's £35,000 for doing so. And this is what you need to do with the money and how you need to report back to us on it.
0: So, so did you <laughs> have to change the way that you, that you worked? That
1: flurry yeah. of money? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So we... processes. Because of, because of COVID, we normally do lots of face-to-face support meetings, so conferences, workshops, etc. Obviously, they all, they all got cancelled. So my, my small team had just literally taken on a, a digital communications person who had started two weeks earlier. and She was very, very good. Our membership manager was kind of repurposed <laughs> to, to say, what a great like, time to start a job, right? Like, isn't well, the it? Baptism of fire, kind of like, you like, haven't even done your induction. And like. <laughs> uh. So, my manager for our member, uh, yeah, he was doing all the grants stuff at first and and our membership administrator was just literally we had this one email that was info at that was like the general email and it was just like hundreds and hundreds of emails every minute and she was just kind of flurryingly kind of keeping through them so i guess our normal services were kind of were on hold anyway but then so were our members in that they were all flown into kind of the, you know, the NHS being in crisis in in the right way and uh, quite a lot of you know they were then had their, their lovely communities turning up at the at the hospitals with boxes of of food and goods and hand creams and etc so it was mostly the charities that were then accepting these goods and having to sort them out and, and, and get them out to the rest of the staff and they were kind of communicating to us to say what the the need was as well. So yeah, we completely repurposed, and I just I just went for help. So we, first, where of were I, you
0: running this operation from?
1: Yeah, so my kitchen and my conservatory and my garden. So a lot of people used to have like, calls with me, and I'd be in this lovely little trilby because we had some nice weather in May, and I'd be sitting in the garden.
0: In in the garden, accepting millions of pounds.
1: I literally, yeah. just kind of constantly on a Zoom call on a on my mobile um, and I did everything on speakerphone so I didn't kind of have a hot radiated head by the end of the day
0: uh, like the apprentice
1: yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah like this um, you, so you, the whole of my you, family could hear what was going on as well so you know those bizarre kind of celebrity things that, that come in they'd be like, like yeah. really? come,
2: on. come on we've got to tell we've got to tell us a story you, you mentioned in the emails before we started recording that you you managed to share a, a quite an intimate moment with one rather famous dishing uh dishing dishy (laughs) come on what's the story Ellie
1: yeah, so obviously the the wonderful Joe Wicks has been doing pu Joe throughout lockdown, helping the nation keep fit, keep inspired, keep motivated. And he'd announced pretty early on that his the, the profits from the from the YouTube channel he was going to be donating to the NHS. And I worked really hard for for quite a long time to try and get a hold of him to say that's us, that's us. And eventually we connected, and I was talking to him, you, know, been talking to him and his brother for quite a while about the appeal and donations and and we'd always arranged that when he came to pay in the funds for the appeal it was like just like under 600,000 pounds that we'd do a FaceTime because we wanted to make sure that a that the it was the right account that it was going into that there was no I think fraudulent etc he's a high profile person we you know we wanted to do it safely so we had arranged a date and a time and, and it didn't happen and I'd gone on holiday to France and I was on the beach in my bikini and suddenly Joe Wicks FaceTimes me <laughs> while I'm on the beach with my children in France and uh, he's like oh hi Ellie I'm at, I'm, I'm at the bank are you on holiday And I'm there trying to kind of keep the phone as high as possible because right I like running I like to keep fit but I have to confess to joe that i haven't been doing pee with joe every day throughout <laughs> lockdown and i certainly wasn't beach body perfect and actually just decided to buy my shorts two sizes bigger this year rather than try and squeeze into the size tens so i can imagine honestly, your husband in the
2: background like giving it what like, one of them, like embarrassing
1: moments of me kind of going uh, hi yes yes i'm on the beach sorry um, and then he passed <laughs> the phone to the woman that worked at the bank because she had a question so i was like <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: you, was, you were live
0: to, to nat west on the high street yeah
1: exactly but yes mortifying my husband wasn't there at the time he was working in he was working in france so i i was then sort of messaging going joe oh, wicks has just FaceTime me on the beach
0: <laughs> yeah you don't, you don't <laughs> want your husband around when you're <laughs> an
1: emoji and he's like oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. my 13 year old said you could have put a t-shirt on mother <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's brilliant absolutely brilliant so James is running a bit late as usual so it gives me a quick opportunity just to give you an update on where you can find more about us on the social channels so we're on Twitter and Instagram at do more good pod you can also visit us on the website at do there you can find loads of episodes and information and we're also launching our new newsletter soon so you can hear all about our latest episodes and get some of the VIP content oh here he is come on James where have you been And of course, you had Captain Tom as well. I mean, yeah,
1: absolutely amazing, Captain Tom. Like? Oh, you know, a phenomenal family, absolutely phenomenal. And they were just completely thrown into very similar circumstances to us of kind of sort of just thinking, oh, I wonder if anyone wants to support a national. You know, I wonder if that be of interest that people might want to support the NHS nationally, and we'll just see. And and they have you know exactly the same mentality of kind of you know let's let's get. Tom to walk. I wonder if anyone else is interested in this story and might want to support him. And then, thirty-three million pounds later, for for their family, the pressure that that has put them under and the intensity, equally. I think there's a a few stories or beacons of hope and and light through this horrible year and horrible pandemic and I think one of those is how much people have really rallied together and supported each other and supported the NHS. The kind of pinnacle of those as well is, is Captain Tom and the level of hope that he gave to people who were stuck inside their house, particularly older people who weren't able to get out or were isolating, kind of further isolating than than other lower risk people. I remember talking to a few people saying that he's he's literally giving me hope throughout this horrible pandemic. He, you know, he's the person that's kind of brightening up how I see the world because of how he's interpreting the world and what he's doing to help and just and who he is just a phenomenal man and from and phenomenal family in terms of the sacrifices that they obviously put themselves through to be able to tell the world, which it was, the this story. And when I was doing media at the time and it was from six you know, six thirty in the med- in the morning on, on breakfast and it would be quite relevant. but I also had a a team, so my Chair was also doing media. We had regional people from the membership who were doing some regional uh, media. For them, it was just them as a family relentlessly and, and particularly his daughter. And that's really, I remember being exhausted having done a five minute with, with Pierce and Susanna, <laughs> let alone he was doing that every single day and going back to back. I think they had something like 18 live interviews on one day just an amazing man and Mm. just completely inspired the world to give, completely broke just giving. (laughs) And also my newly appointed communications person who I was who I was talking about. And she'd be kind of having worked kind of ridiculously long hours that day, had by kind of half past ten in the evening had kind of gone right, switch off, glass of wine, and then kind of half past eleven at night the lovely captain tom moore would then pass another million and it would all be all tweeting and she'd be like oh no no no. i've got to to be on tweeting and messaging and saying you know well done but i've had a glass of wine am i spelling this right um (laughs) 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 what
0: an amazing time what an amazing yeah
1: but I i do have to say we didn't stay with our with our you know just the four of us doing this it is it has been absolute teamwork We had some people come on volunteering for us. We had some people come that were furloughed from University of Birmingham Hospital's charity and they came on board, particularly looking after the Info Act. There were six of them working on it a day and they'd have more emails at the end of the day in the inbox than what they'd had at the beginning of the day and there were still six of them working back to back on it. And we brought in some consultants and and other teams to, to be able to work with us.
0: How is life for you guys now?
1: We now have a team of sixteen who are who are either interim or, or permanent with us. Fundraising is still busy, but it, it's no, I, I don't think anybody that didn't experience it could actually and so one of the consultants that came on the, the organization they had estimated how much people time that they needed to allocate to it. And we had somebody who was supporting us with corporate fundraising because lots and lots of organizations and and companies wanted to have a t-shirt or have, have, have something that was in aid of, of NHS charities together. And they had established that they thought that he'd do 10 hours a week and he was doing at least 10 hours every day and still kind of going, "I'm, I'm behind, I'm behind, you know, it was just, it was just relentless. Also, then we're obviously working on our on our governance, our capability and capacity as an organisation. So we brought on board Cas Business School, the Centre for Charity Effectiveness, to support us more internally and our members and our granting, we, and, and they've been absolutely great. So i so say now I have a, a team. We're doing some more permanent recruitment of a, of a senior team at the moment. I'm managed to take some time off so I have to say I, I did take pretty much the whole of August off having done having cancelled all annual leave yeah, literally we were working over 15 hours pretty much every day for the first 10 weeks and then after that I took weekends off I think my first day off was my birthday on the 19th of May so I said to my board I can do this I'm I've got really high level of resilience I can work flat out for long periods of time but I do need to stop. And when I stop, I want to know that I'm properly stopping this time. And also it gives the team because, it, it, you know, it's pretty much like military leadership, you know, leadership in a crisis. You know exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it. And the rest of the proliferate is kind of it doesn't really matter about. But the le- leadership style needed to move back to more, to, to shared leadership. Mm-hmm. and me stepping out meant that my senior team that we'd just established could 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 do more of that so uh, so yes yeah, so i went to france for 3 weeks and um, hence now i'm in quarantine and how life is now is uh, it's still busy it's still it's exciting but it's it's really like starting the new term apart from my kids are still at home so and i hear you guys earlier kind of the joys of your children being Blaking. back at school, my three are still at home. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't been out of the house since a week last Saturday. So I'm, I'm kind of feeling like, you know, it's a new beginning. I actually hear all the things that Kenneth was saying. It's a new start. It's kind of an opportunity to, if you like, start with the, with the world as we have it now, rather than the world that we used to have. But I feel still like I'm slightly on pause in that yeah. I... I am going to be really honest I'm finding it quite hard to motivate myself because I just need to leave my house.
2: Yeah um, that makes sense. I, I was going to ask you Ellie like you've spoken about leadership and and your career and could never have envisaged that this would this would ever happen but I'm interested as a leader what did you learn through that process that you think will will benefit you for the rest of your career because I mean that is like it's as you've just discussed it's a one in a lifetime example uh, of, of of amazing fundraising of just the brand going from pretty much nowhere to to here in in the space of a few weeks the the coverage that you got from the media I mean I'm sure it continues on and I'm sure there's plans but what what did you learn learn about yourself and, and about leadership during that time
1: I think what I learned is that I was digging deep into things that I'd I'd learned before. So, when I worked for the John Egging Trust, obviously we were working with the Red Arrows and other military bases and particularly RAF bases. The type of leadership within the Reds of its you know, high performance, high. everybody has to know what they're doing. You have to have really, really clear leadership from, from the front, but equally you have to have really good followship within your team those four years that I'd spent with Jet and being amongst that kind of environment are the things that I kind of as a as a leader put in into place and certainly bringing it bringing in the, the best team that you could have and I and I literally did I you know I, I went to the best people that I know or mm-hmm. the they were recommended to me and i and i went to them and it really you was
2: you i didn't get a call so uh,
0: obviously we're well out I I, I I was i was facetiming <laughs> with joe wicks at the time
1: so in his bikini um, <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of my relationships then that you know i that's what i did so i picked up the phone to the people i knew and said help what do i need to to do and and so I guess getting advice and listening to the experts and the people that you trust and then out of that, building a team of people that you, you trust. and uh, But also setting uh, the, that leading from the front, I think, was actually really, really vital that you know sometimes within leadership, it's really appropriate to kind of step back and be very laissez-faire and kind of let everybody kind of decide, you know, how are we doing this and what are we going to do? And actually within within that time it was you know, this is what we're doing and this is how we're how we're doing it. it. Was time to listen to everybody, but then come to a decision and this is the way forward. But equally, I think half of it was just making myself available. So I literally I think I was just on the phone or, or on a Teams call or Zoom call 24-7. And what I tried to do is keep in that a level of the personal, a level of kind of how things going, a, le- a level of lightness in mm-hmm. in things as well. I'm blessed with an amazing husband and, and fantastic family who were, you just need to get on with this. It was hard work, and there was positioning, and there was and there was relationship cementing, and there was how are we how are we doing this, and also there was the making sure that we're spending this money properly, and we're telling the country the impact and the difference that the funds that they've been raising are, are making but it wasn't the same as when you're trying to grow a small organization you're pushing forward the whole the whole time it was more shaping and reacting and knowing when to say no to something and knowing that actually this is the this is the definite and I think the first certainly till the end of may it was very very defined and then from sort of end of may june i was sort of looking at kind of like how as an organization what's how do we transition into our next phase as an organization because we're we're out of the urgent and i think that's the thing that i felt that was hardest and they always say that you know going down the mountain is more dangerous than, than going up the mountain and and I think for me, the only thing that I would have, and it is in retrospect, and I don't know how possible it would have been, is that I think our, relate, our communication to our members, particularly we had 100 new members that we hadn't spoken to. Although we were granting out funds and we were trying to listen to them on, on that respect and, and have information back from where they were spending the funds I think they had questions about, well, how long are you going to do this for? And are you now going to be nationally fundraising all the time? And so actually being able to be in front of members and communicating to members and keeping up that level of engagement with members, which they'd always had because they'd always been our focus, was, if you like, in retrospect, the thing that I think we, we didn't do as well. But then I'm not sure in light of having, you know, starting with three members of staff and just the level of income that was coming in and having to establish a grants program. We've, we we granted out the first money on the 1st of April within 10 weeks, we've granted out 20 million pounds and set up all the governments and, you know, structures, etc. to do that you know, safely and appropriately. We've now granted out 30 million and another 65 million is allocated on, on top of that. Wow.
2: That's amazing. It's, it's amazing to hear, like, I remember kind of, you know, seeing you on breakfast TV or w- whatever it was. And, and I mean, even people in the sector as well kind of responding, like, where's this, where's this organization come from? Because people didn't, and, 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 and there has been, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it as well. There has been a little bit of kickback from others in the sector saying, well, hang on a minute. You know, everyone's given to this NHS. What about us? You know, ch- the charity sector is pretty much decimated by COVID. And you're going to get that kickback and and so to handle it. So I guess my question for you next, Ellie, is where does it go in the future? Like, what's the aspirations now? Do you revert back to your old strategy of going, okay, we're going to continue to support the members and and really push it there? Do you forge ahead in terms of the brand and the brand recognition you've got? I mean, I can't imagine how you've lit up that scale of of brand awareness. But yeah, where's your head at?
1: Well, the, the five year strategy that I say we have kind of put in place and we and we launched at the end of two thousand and eighteen really took us through to the seventy-fifth birthday of the NHS, which is twenty twenty three, and our ambition by then was that we would have NHS charities together as a as a national brand, as the, the national charity for the NHS and a national way to give to the NHS that we were fundraising nationally and had a grant a national grant program for our members as a a base of that so that was where we were going and we were building that incrementally we were on that trajectory and and really what happened was the five-year strategy we met in five weeks as a result of of COVID-19 so now we're back to the kind of drawing board to say, OK, well, let's let's have a, You know, we now need to relook at the vision and, and the strategy. And we're doing a consultation with our with our members about that and that they really see that this isn't in competition. This is making the pie bigger for everybody and and also going for, I, I guess, for things that, that they as individual charities, because either they're they're specialist or they're local couldn't go for and that our grant strategy is that it's to our members and they need to help shape that because we also in terms of the ask need to understand from the NHS well, what's the next need. But yeah the plan is to to continue fundraising nationally because that was the strategic plan before COVID. And to keep the brand profile high, but not just of NHS charities together, but of the whole sector of a way of supporting the NHS to do more and to to give back and to say thank you to the NHS is is through its official charities. It's about enabling people to give at the level that they want to be able to give and, and, and support and en- engage people with the story of NHS charities as, as a way of saying thank you, giving back, but also helping the NHS in those additional ways. Mm. I think lots of people use words like under-resourced, invaluable, but under-resourced to support, to to talk about the NHS. The reality is NHS charities, they can't ever replace government funding. I mean, even our appeal of £150 million, which are probably by the end of the year what we'll, we'll be on, that funds the NHS for a day. So what we're really talking about here is enhancing patient experience. It's about enabling and enhancing the staff well-being so that they can be the best doctors, nurses, receptionists, cleaners, radiologists that that they can be. And also, I think that pump priming and and supporting patients, if you like, to, to stay well for longer and to be healthier. So I, I very much see that NHS charities are 100% NHS. They speak the NHS language. They understand those stupid acronyms that half of us don't get, but they're also 100% from the voluntary sector, and they have the challenges of the voluntary sector. And actually, they can work as this amazing bridge between the two. Actually, what you know, what's happened is that you know the hideousness of, of COVID-19 and the the awfulness of the, the pandemic what well, i guess what that's sort of done is the good news story is the the love of the nhs that's kind of come from that but also it's kind of focused that actually the the area and the need of where nhs charities help
2: be exciting to watch then we'll be we'll be all sitting back and and seeing uh seeing how it develops over the next next yeah, year.
1: I think our biggest challenge, though, for the next definitely the year and a half is the the country got behind us, they got behind the NHS, and we were the vehicle for them to be able to do that. And so we have this massive responsibility of making sure that those funds are are spent well, are, are reported on. And I honestly think that in terms of our success and failure over the next 18 months, then Yes, it would be brilliant to continue fundraising, and we and we're dedicated to doing that. But actually, the real importance is to make sure that our members continue to to develop and and that we actually can can tell the story and, and demonstrate that the difference that that those funds are making.
2: That's an amazing amazing story, Ellie. I think we I've probably got some hungry kids. I'm sure at your house as much as there is here. We'd love to sit here and talk to you all night, but I think it's a great point to kind of wrap it up on. And we're not going to let you go that easily, even though the story, I'm sure people will find inspiring, moving. I, I think just interesting. It's just, we've never seen that kind of giving at that kind of level before. And I think it will go down in history. And hopefully, in some ways, I hope that we never need to see it again, of course.
0: Tread to see your targets for next year. <laughs> Blimey. <They're> gonna... <laughs>
2: but yeah should we uh, should we do the uh, quick fire questions just to, to wrap it up
0: yeah let 's do that Shall I go first All right.
2: go on James
0: so if you could transport back in time and meet your twenty year old self what piece of advice would you give and why
1: oh, wow the advice I'd give my twenty year old self is have more confidence in yourself like like yourself stop trying to make other people like you be more be more you
2: be more you there's another podcast there isn't there somewhere be more you i like that one i'm expecting a big thing from this one can you tell us about one life hack or productivity tool a habit or a skill that you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about and I'm thinking like being in isolation at home for the last two weeks or dealing with all of that that you've dealt with from your garden, kitchen and dining room. There must be something in there that just helped a little bit that you think, wow, I'm glad i discovered it. Anything that comes to mind?
1: Yeah, ignore your kids. <laughs> <laughs> They'll sort it out. If they don't need you. They honestly, they don't need you. They, if you don't feed them, they end up feeding themselves and I, mine are kind of an age where they can feed themselves. So so obviously, if, if your children are, are fully dependent on you, do not ignore them. But if they're <laughs> of an age where actually they just need to do a bit of growing up, then you take this as the opportunity, and they will grow and become much more independent, and then eventually they start making you cups of tea. Like my kids couldn't make a cup of tea or made their own breakfast or oh do anything. Well, they, they, I mean, they should have been able to. They're 10... 12 and 13 and my 13 year old's autistic so yeah they were still kind of this sort of ilk that mum and dad get up and make breakfast for them and and you know lunch is at school or so it's made in in a sandwich box or it's from a canteen and then they come home and dinners some like some somebody has arranged some sort of dinner for them and obviously mum I was 15 hours of less than ignoring them yeah and they managed to cope so that's my my life hack is ignore your children they will cope
2: (laughs) i think (laughs) i I can definitely apply that one the 10 year old hasn't got the kind of looking after herself yet she's still relying i think she relies on the six-year-old to say well actually look my little brother's here he can't do it for himself so i might give that one a try i'll let you know how i get on
0: last question for you as a podcast that is focused around people doing more good what is your favourite story or inspiring individual you have met on your journey or recently who has done something good for others?
1: Uh, well, that's right. I mean, the journey that I've had, it's, it's, you know, there's been a, an absolute myriad of, of people, but I'm going to pick my husband because actually if he hadn't have been so supportive and I didn't feed our children for six weeks. So you know, six months. Sorry, he did every. You know, he literally did everything. He's cooked every dinner, and secretly, I just let that continue. Um, <laughs> and so, without that of him, you know, n- you know, not having ex- other, any other expectation of me other than to to lead the the organisation and, and to lead the the COVID appeal, then we would not have been able to achieve what we've been achieved he's he's been absolutely the the wingman in the back of the the room that has had a laugh with me had a cry with me been able to just listen or or hold another perspective on it you know he's the guy that I've had a gin and tonic with at the end of the the night you know the weekend he's the guy that eventually says now put it down you need to physically move but equally knows when I say no I can't physically put it down that he'll take the kids out and 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 do whatever so they're the do more good guy is my husband
2: that's nice yeah that's good one to leave it on I think Ellie brilliant thank you so much for your time we really do appreciate it I'm sure there were some absolute gems in there and as I say the story and the experience you've been through from from our perspective and I'm sure from everybody else's, you've done an amazing job and so thank you to you and your and your team for, for what you do and continue to do. You, you're on Twitter, aren't you? I've seen you sharing a few things on Twitter.
1: I'm on Twitter. Any, I'm on LinkedIn. Any final thoughts or anything you want to leave us with? I, I guess what I want to leave us with is actually it's been a really, really tough year for for everybody, and every you know people in every sector, charity sector, you know, corporate, private sector, health sector. But actually, what's been amazing is about how people have supported each other. And cared for each other and I guess as we kind of go in out of lockdown whatever coming next is let's hold on to that let's hold on to that was that that was the good that that yeah. came out of this is actually how we had each other and yeah let's let's continue doing that as uh, you yeah, know particularly in the charity sector because it could get a bit of a bum fight you know it's been decimated and actually working together and trying to support each other and I guess, yeah. Knowing what we're trying to achieve, we may be able uh, we can do that together more than we can do it apart.
0: Lovely. What a nice message to leave it on. Yeah.
1: Just and a massive awesome. thank you to you both for having me on to talk about my escapades over the last forty odd years.
2: Yeah, we'll do another episode about that that failed year at university, maybe <coughs> you know, further down the line. But no, thank you so much for your time. It's really appreciated and. James any final thoughts? It's been great. I'm off to
0: get
1: beach body ready. Excellent me too. <laughs> yeah,
2: I could definitely do with that. All right, we'll wrap it up there guys. Thanks a lot. See you soon. Thank,
1: Thank you. you. Bye. Bye.
0: Just before we go, our next release is a conversation with Martin Yelling, one half of Marathon Talk and the founder of Stormbreak. We chat about the physical and mental benefits of exercise for school kids, making your charity sustainable, and why both are critical right now. We'll speak to you then.
2: If anyone wants to kind of follow up and
0: actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth, at DoMoreGoodPod. Instagram, at Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi-channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website, domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact
2: at domoregood.uk.